What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Understanding Black America from Reconstruction to the Great Depression to the present. For that, we turn to Eric Foner. Of course, he taught American history at Columbia for several decades. His work on the history of Reconstruction has won the Pulitzer Prize, the Bancroft Prize, and the Lincoln Prize. He's also written for the New York Times op-ed page, the TLS, the LRB, and The Nation, where he's a member of the editorial board. Eric, welcome back. Good to talk to you, John. Well, we care about Reconstruction, the decade following the Civil War, first of all, because the constitutional amendments passed in those years are at the center of our politics today, especially the guarantee of equal protection of the laws in the 14th Amendment, along with birthright citizenship. You recently wrote a book about the significance of the Reconstruction Amendments. We talked about it here. It's called The Second Founding. Now you've written the foreword to a new edition of an old book on Reconstruction. The author is James S. Allen. It's called Reconstruction, the Battle for Democracy, and it was published in 1937 by international publishers 50 years before your own book on Reconstruction. Who was the author, James S. Allen? Yes, James Allen uh, was a, a theorist, or whatever you want to call it, of the Communist Party for many years. Uh, he edited uh, some Communist Party uh, newspapers, publications. He worked with international publishers, which was sort of connected as a publishing house with the party. He wrote a great deal, and the reason I'm interested in him here is about the black situation in the United States. Uh, many pamphlets and other uh, teaching in communist schools about it. Um, but what I wanted to draw attention to here was this book, Reconstruction, the Battle for Democracy, uh, which is very hardly known today. If you, you people know about Du Bois's great work, Black Reconstruction in America, published just a year or two before Allen. But Alan's book is also very good and very interesting and deserves to be known again. So, uh, as you said, international publishers reissued it just uh, recently, and I wrote a brief introduction explaining who Alan was and why this book really still deserves to be read, even though it is uh, quite a few decades old. And let's emphasize here that Alan was a white man who went to the South. Very courageous thing to do in the early 30s. Tell, tell that story. Yeah, it wasn't very easy to do that. In, in 1930, he, was, he and his wife, Isabel, was sent by the party into the South. Uh, he ended up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, to set up a weekly newspaper in order to radicalize people in the South and report on the sharecroppers movement and other things going on uh, in the South. The Communist Party was making a big effort to try to mobilize uh, downtrodden workers in the South. And of course, the black situation was very important to recruiting drives by the Communist Party at that time. I think it's fair to say that the Communist Party was the only 
largely white organization, which really made the condition of blacks a fundamental part of its political uh, program. And Alan was there then to both be a reporter and to mobilize people and to report particularly on what was going on about among sharecroppers and workers in the South. And they published a they published uh, a, a newspaper called the Southern Worker, a weekly. And how much did it co- did the, it cost to buy a copy of the Southern Worker? Two cents. Uh, most uh, poor, poor workers in the South were not spending a lot of money on newspapers. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, it was two cents. But then if they had any left over, they were supposed to just give them away for free to people. But the Southern Worker was a very remarkable uh, uh, newspaper. And yes, uh, setting this a Communist Party newspaper up in the South during the Great Depression was not an easy thing to do. In fact, he couldn't find anyone to publish it for a while, a printer. Finally, he landed on a uh, a official of the Ku Klux Klan in North Georgia who uh, ran a print shop and was running out of money and agreed to print the weekly edition uh, because he needed Allen's patronage. Um, (laughs) And this kind of confused the FBI. They couldn't, the FBI could never quite figure out where this newspaper was being published. It was, they kind of knew it had something to do with this thing in Georgia, but a a Klansman publishing this didn't seem logical. Uh, Allen put Birmingham, Alabama on the dateline of the paper to throw them off also. So what's interesting to me, though, is how Allen, while he was there, began doing research on Reconstruction and writing about Reconstruction and trying to really write about the black role in Reconstruction. Before we get to the black role in Reconstruction, there's one more thing about the Allen's work reporting from the South that's significant, the Scottsboro Boys. Yeah. Well, uh, Allen uh, was connected also with the International Labor Defense, which was uh, a sort of communist legal arm. And um, the Scottsboro Boys, these several uh, black teenagers, basically, who were accused of rape by two white women. We now know this was totally fabricated, but they were sentenced to death. And they long, uh, you know, legal cases came out of that over the whole 1930s into the 1940s. Um, and, um, you know, the, the Southern worker publicized this. Allen's wife went down there to sit in the courtroom in Alabama and report what was going on. And Glenda Gilmore, the historian retired recently from Yale, writes in one of her books that without Allen's publicizing what was happening to these young black men, they probably would have been executed. But with the public knowledge, uh, not only in the United States, it became a worldwide uh, issue. Uh, they really helped to save the uh, Scottsboro boys' lives. And I want to talk a little bit more about the Communist Party in the 30s and its view of black people in the South. The official party line was self-determination for the black belt. This idea came from the Communist International. Uh, It was the worldwide party line following Stalin's nationalities policies in the Soviet Union. The idea did not come out of the grassroots organizing in the South. And in many ways, it was not really suited to black Americans. In other ways, it it was. People today kind of ridicule the idea of black uh, self-determination in the black belt. The black belt being the area of majority black population ranging, the old plantation belt ranging from Virginia down through the deep South out to Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, etc. And uh, yes, Stalin had put into effect this policy of the Soviet Union where each kind of ethnic group would have its own state, its own sub-state within the Soviet Union. Today, they're all independent 
nation. So the Uzbeks would have Uzbekistan and the, uh, I don't know, the Kazakhs would have Kazakhstan, etc. Why not do that in the U.S.? You have these areas of majority black population. Self-determination is the point. Now, I think most black people didn't, didn't really cotton to this idea, to use a Southern phrase. In other words, they had, it didn't seem plausible some way. But on the other hand, it did tap into this black nationalism, which was very prominent. Remember the Garvey movement 10 years earlier had really developed a nationalistic approach which uh, appealed to a large numbers of blacks. So Allen promoted the idea of self-determination of the black belt, but they also promoted the idea of equality in all ways for blacks, political, social, economic, in the rest of the country also. So uh, he was uh, pursuing the party line, which sometimes didn't really make sense. But again, Reconstruction then comes in some ways to appear as an example of black self-determination. It had happened once before, could happen again. Yes, we now know it had happened once before. Uh, at the time that Alan wrote his book, though, the idea that it happened once before was held up as one of the great disasters in American history. What was taught at the American colleges and universities at the time that Alan went to work on it was called the Dunning School. Let's tell us about the Dunning School. My predecessor at Columbia, Dunning, William A. Dunning, who taught the Civil War and Reconstruction there long, long ago, Yes, the Dunning School portrayed Reconstruction as the lowest point in the whole history of American politics. It was a period of corruption, misgovernment, vindictive radicals were trying to punish the white South. But the main cause of it being so terrible was that black men had gotten the right to vote. And according to this racist interpretation, black people are just incapable of intelligently taking part in political democracy. And therefore, this orgy of corruption followed, and eventually Reconstruction was overthrown by the Klan and other groups that were glorified by the uh, Dunning School. Um, Allen very quickly came to realize that this view of Reconstruction was actually a big impediment to racial progress in the 1930s when he's writing, because it justified the Jim Crow system. It legitimated taking the right to vote away from blacks. Anytime anyone said, well, maybe we should you know, expand the rights of black Southerners, they were, oh, no, no, then you'll have another horrors of Reconstruction. So um, you had to fight the battle over history in order to fight the battle over white supremacy in the present. And that was one of Allen's great insights. Now, you did mention that Allen was not the first to challenge the Dunning School. There was E.B. Du Bois, who wrote the book Black Reconstruction in America, two years before Dunning's book came out. What was Du Bois's argument? Well, that might take a little while to explain because it was over 700 pages of the book. But <laughs> yes, it was. Du Bois's argument is the title of the book, Black Reconstruction, that this is a critical period for black America that recon and that also for American democracy, that black people were the cutting edge of change in Reconstruction, and that it was a period of tremendous accomplishment and hope, not the disaster that the Dunning School uh, put forward. And two years before Allen, Du Bois had published Black Reconstruction in America, which put that view of Reconstruction out there and had so, you know, some impact, although not, necessarily, not really in the universities. It sold relatively well, but it didn't change the way the vast majority of historians portrayed Reconstruction. Black Reconstruction was not seen as a great work of history until much, much later. Yes, until your book and 
the other historians of our uh, generation in the in the 60s. So given that a very talented and accomplished and indeed famous black historian had written about black reconstruction two years before, why did James S. Allen write his book at all? Well, you know, Allen was writing the book while Du Bois was working on his. There's a bit of a mythology out there that the party ordered Allen to write a book on reconstruction because they felt that Du Bois's interpretation didn't quite measure up as a Marxist view. Du Bois had used terminology like the proletarian revolution in the South or that the Southern Reconstruction governments were dictatorships of black labor. And the party felt, and you can see this in articles in the Daily Worker, uh, that, uh, no, that's not correct. That, well, you, it wasn't a proletarian revolution. First of all, they hadn't read Karl Marx yet. <laughs> You know, and there was really no proletariat in a modern sense, certainly no industrial proletariat to speak of in the South. It was a bourgeois revolution. It was a bourgeois revolution. And that's what Alan argues. And in a way, you know, without getting into the arcane discussion of this, um, both Du Bois and Allen emphasized the class relations here, as well as the question of, of black rights. Um, to Du Bois, it was an effort to make a proletarian state uh, in the South. To Allen, it was a, a bourgeois revolution where black people were at the head, but the northern bourgeoisie was with them for a time, but then drew back. Why? Because uh, the blacks were demanding land and the, uh, and the northern uh, bourgeoisie felt that was a threat to private property. So calling it a bourgeois revolution helps to explain why it failed. Um, but th really, I think this kind of definitional uh, argument is uh, not of great concern to us one way or the other. Actually, these two books overlap enormously, Black Reconstruction and, Re and Reconstruction, the Battle for Democracy. Both of them emphasize the role of blacks. Both of them attack the historical profession for its racism. Uh, both of them see Reconstruction in a very positive light, and both of them use the word democracy in the title or subtitle, that this is a key moment in the history of American democracy, not just in African-American history. Uh, Allen's book is 250 pages, Du Bois is 700 some odd pages, Du Bois is a poetic writer, Allen is more of a publicist or a journalist, I should say. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not surprising that Du Bois's book, it's kind of overshadowed Allen's. But I think Allen did a lot of research and there's a lot of material from the voices of black people, from conventions, from newspapers, from letters, which gives you a real sense of reconstruction uh, in a way that, um, you know, you get it in a more succinct fashion, so to speak, than if you're reading black reconstruction in America. Well, W.E.B. Du Bois joined the Communist Party in 1961 when he was, I think, 93 years old. Uh, what happened to James S. Allen after, after he published his book? Well, he remained a significant figure in the American Communist Party all the way up to the end of his, to the end of his life in the late 1980s. He, um, he uh, as I said before, worked for international publishers. He wrote, continued to write a lot about the black situation and many other uh, political issues. He was sent by the Communist International to the Philippines around 1940 in order to try to bolster up cooperation between communists and socialists as war with Japan was impending on the horizon. So he, um, you know, Allen kept his political views and he, and he, uh, 
and he kept writing, and he was a significant figure on the left for uh, many, many years, although today he's probably not nearly as well-known as, as he once was. So today we honor Reconstruction as a period of black political power. We also honor it because of the 14th Amendment, which guarantees equal protection of the laws. Where do we stand on equal protection today? Well, the Constitution, as they say, is what the Supreme Court says it is. And our Supreme Court is not, let us say, as fully committed to the idea of uh, equal protection of the law for all as uh, it might well be. Uh, we, you know, they're cer certainly they're not interested in protecting voting rights, which is more a 15th Amendment question, but it's critical today, of course. Uh, in other words, uh, this is a struggle that is still going on. That's one of the reasons that Reconstruction is valuable to think about. The, as you mentioned before, citizenship, voting rights, equal protection. These are Reconstruction issues which are still on our agenda right now. Um, you know, obviously, Allen is not the most up-to-date word on these things. It's uh, quite a few years ago, but it's still insightful, that book. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's good that it's being reissued and out there as, uh, you know, as something available to people who want to learn more about this uh, history. The struggle is still going on. Eric Foner wrote a new introduction to James Allen's 1937 book, Reconstruction, the Battle for Democracy. It's out now from international publishers. Eric, thanks for talking with us today. Great to talk to you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 